welcome to RX Rounds, a podcast that focuses on health education in the Caribbean community. I am your host, Alandra Mitchell. Welcome back to RX Rounds. I'm so excited to have you guys back. This is a really exciting episode because we're going to be talking about building strength. And today our guest is one of the front runners in fitness in Trinidad and Tobago, Franz Jalizo. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Franz, give us some more detail about who you are and some of the things you've done. Um, yeah, Franz Jalizo. Um, yeah, as you said, I'm a personal trainer and strength coach certified by International Sports Sciences Association. Um, I have done some motivational speaking at schools and events, health events, those kind of things. Um, I am a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. I just got my second degree two months ago, I think. Um, I had a magazine, a fitness magazine called Hybrid. I was the editor-in-chief um, and one of the writers. And yeah, I'm married. I have a young son. He's three and a half years old now. I manage this gym that we're in now, Cyborgs. Uh, I started getting into like talk therapy type things now. So I've done a couple of talk therapy courses, cognitive behavioral therapy and one called Logotherapy, or Logotherapy, as the guy says, from Ireland. Um, and yeah, that's, you know, yeah, pretty much it. Yeah, I think that's like a huge resume. You know, we often think about fitness and um, those of us in wellness as not being as important because, you know, I'm a pharmacist and we often see patients in the late ends of their um, medical situation, for yeah. instance, when we we're ready to treat, but you guys are like in the front. And I think this is probably one of the best ways to get word out about preventative measures, because right. we also yeah. always talk about, okay, well, how can we manage something? It's really about getting preventative measures and you guys are in the front runs in fitness and wellness. So I'm really excited to have you on the show here today. Right. Awesome. So like I said, we we're talking about strength building strength. Um, tell us a little bit about what is a strength coach and what exactly does that entail? Um, well, a strength coach is sort of a step up from a certified fitness trainer. So strength coaches, strictly speaking, they, they're prepared to work with athletes. Um, so they're more of a performance coach than just you're trying to get in shape. You're trying to get in specific shape for a specific sport, swimming, tennis, boxing, Whatever it is, there's strength coaches that because there's specific training regimens, there's specific eating regimens, um, and so the strength coach that's primarily what they deal with is athletic training. Um, so there's certain exercises that you'd see, say, bodybuilders doing because they are primarily aesthetic that you will never see almost any other athlete do. Because so let's take an example like chest flies. Um, that's almost useless for strength coaches, for let's say boxers, against swimmers, those kind of things. Because it's, it's, a, it's a single 
single joint movement. Strength coaches usually deal with compound lifts. Um, most you can most of them would be snatch, uh, deadlifts, depending on the sport, um, clean and jerk, those kind of things. Really explosive, again, depending on the sport, movements, compound movements. So you're saying that you're, the coaching is for pretty much any type of athlete. So do you have to do specific training for the type of athlete that you're training? Absolutely. Um, a tennis coach would be next to useless training somebody for like a mixed martial arts competition. Right. Um, but they, they all have a base level knowledge of how to train the body to be athletic. But then you get into sports specific training, um, which is very important because to learn how to ride a bike properly, you can't be swimming most of, your, most of the time. So most strength coaches or all strength coaches will have a base level of knowledge as to how to get the body to be a certain level of athletic. But then you have to get really specific, sports specific for you know, the certain athlete. Right, and that makes complete sense because every athlete would have to have different muscles, like in each type of uh, event that they do, for instance, a tennis player and a swimmer, as you said, they will have to have different muscles that are stronger, right? Yeah, you'd know, well, actually, swimmers and, um, and tennis players, their shoulders <laughs> would get a lot of work. Um, but then hips in tennis as well, hips and knees, um, so yeah, it's, you have to get really sport specific when you're dealing with athletes, but then even you have to get more personal with individual athletes within the sports because some people are taller, some people are shorter, heavier, longer limbs, you know, so each person will, some people may not be able to squat properly because of, you know, the length of their femur or something like that as opposed to their torso, so you have to figure out something else for them to do to get them to that same level of athleticism as their peers. So even within the sport, then you have to break it down even more to personalize the training to the athlete themselves. So what about folks who aren't athletic? Like, I'm not a swimmer or a tennis player, but I want to become stronger. Would you recommend getting a health co a strength coach? Well, you wouldn't have to go as, as in-depth as a strength coach. You could just, if it's just a baseline level of fitness you're looking at, you could go to a certified fitness trainer um, and they can bring you up to level. Like I say, strength coaches are primarily for athletic um, strength coach, yeah, athletic performance. Let's just say, so someone just wants to uh, become stronger for fitness reasons. Um, would you recommend that they do, they lose weight first and then gain strength? Um, we could, we could almost address that in the, in the MythBuster segment we're going to do. Yeah. Um, you don't have to lose your weight before you start to gain strength. You can do them. It's actually better to do them both at the same time. Um, because a lot of people think to lose weight, you have to start doing hours and hours of cardio first to get slimmer, and then you can start building strength and muscle. If you do them both concurrently, that is more effective in losing weight and maintaining health than just one and then the other, um, because you work, you work your body through everything you need. You work your heart, your lungs, your muscles, everything, um, your bones, your joints, at the same time, as opposed to just working your cardio system for a while and then coming and just hitting your skeletal system and ignoring the other in, in the process. So a lot of people, there's also this myth about turning muscle into fat and fat into muscle. It's set of madness. Um, but no, if you, if you're gonna, if you want to get fit and let's say you're overweight, you don't need to lose weight first and then try to gain muscle. 
you can do them both at the same time and it will be more effective than trying to do one or the other. Well, I know we're going to get to this in Mythbuster as well, but as I'm thinking about what you're saying, I'm thinking a lot of people say don't do cardio while you're doing strength training. It's another common misconception. Yeah. Um, we could do hours on misconceptions. <laughs> right? Um, no, they, again, they, well, there's also different types of cardio. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, what do they call it? Lists. Long, low-intensity steady-state cardio, which is, you know, an hour-long slog on a treadmill, which... Everybody, most people hear that and like, oh God, that's I can't do that. Runners, they love it. I mean, I see people in here every day come and pound the treadmill for an hour and then hit weights and then go home. So you can do both. It really depends on what your specific goal is. I tend to skew my workout. All my workouts for everybody I've ever trained has been a ratio of cardio and weights. Depending on their goals is how I skew that ratio. But everybody does cardio and they do weights. It's just a matter of what type of cardio. And by weights, I mean resistance training. It doesn't mean actual weights. It could be body weight training. Your body is resistance. So it depends on the type of cardio you're talking about and the type of resistance training. But a mix of both is recommended for everybody, regardless of health, athletic ability. You should be doing some form of cardio and some form of resistance training. I like how you talk about your body weight. You can use that because a lot of folks tend to think strength is you have to go in the gym and you have to lift some dumbbells. And no, no, no. You can. You, you. I mean, it's it's been popularized on YouTube in particular in the last, I would say, five to eight years. The outdoor training, the the calisthenics, the pull-ups, the dips, um, muscle-ups became a thing because of YouTube. Yeah. Watching these guys training in parks, and that's all body weight training. It depends on how many reps you do, how exclusively you do it, you can get a full, proper work, resistance workout with no weights at all, just some, just a bar to pull up on. So you mentioned reps. So for the average person that does not go to the gym all the time, please explain what are reps and what are sets and those types of things. Okay, so one rep, one repetition is a movement of the weight or your body through a full range of motion. So if it's, let's say, a push-up or a bench press, which is kind of the inverse of the other, um, you would go from arms extended, arms to the chest, and then arms extended again. That is one repetition. That is full range of motion. A set is a series of reps. So you could do a set of 10 reps or a set of 5 reps or a set of 25 reps. And then a cycle is a set of, a grouping of sets. So you do three sets of 10 or five sets of five and those kind of things. So there's, there's reps, there's sets, and then there's the cycle of reps and sets. So when we think about building strength, do we do more reps? Do we do more sets? Do we increase the number of cycles? What, what is the sweet spot, basically? Yes, all. So what you, what you need to do, uh, a standard training cycle... Um, would be a certain number of exercises on the day with a certain number of sets, a certain number of reps. And what you do is you would break that up, or sorry, you would change that every couple of weeks because the body is highly adaptive. It will get used to the resistance, whatever the stressor is, it will get used to it and then you stop gaining anything from the exercise. So if if you're on a strength training program, um, typically this means you're, you're sort of a power athlete you want to develop strength alone you're not into aesthetics you're not into you know, endurance nothing you want to build raw strength 
that is usually a five by five, what they call a five by five split. Five sets of five reps each. Um, but you do that for a couple of weeks and your body will stop adapting. So you need to do a, what they would call a deload session or a deload week maybe, where you do three sets of maybe 15 reps. Similar movements or maybe you change the exercise as well, but just to give your joints a little break, because there's really only so long you can lift without <clears throat> straining your tendons and your ligaments. Something. Yeah, something. <laughs> um, you get elbow pains and hip pains. So you do a deload week, so your body can recover a little bit from that. You're still moving, you're still making gains, and then you go back into, into your heavier sets and you make your gains again. You do that to break plateaus a lot too. You change up your routine entirely for a week, maybe two weeks, and then you dive back into it and you break a plateau and you move forward. So, very long story short, you do need to change everything in order to continue seeing results. And that deload portion that you talk about where you have to recover, that's so important for muscle. Like, I don't even think people understand. It's not just that they don't understand. It's also that people can get so obsessive about working out, and I am totally guilty of this. You should really take a week off entirely, every now and then. Just, you know, maybe, I'm not going to make recommendations for everybody, but maybe at least once or twice a year, take a week off entirely. Do nothing weight-wise. I mean, you could go for walks and that kind of thing, but don't put yourself through these normal stresses. And this also depends on how hard you train. Let me just say that. Because some people, all they do is go for walks. Cool, you do that every day of your life. But if you're training martial arts or heavy weights or whatever all the time, your body needs to rest and recover. And people don't like to do that because they think they're taking a step back by stopping training. And I promise you, if you train hard every week for several months and you take a week off, when you come back, as hard mentally as that week is going to be, when you come back, your body is going to be refreshed and you're going to make fresh progress in the gym. So rest and recovery are two very important things that people do take for granted and they don't understand properly. And I think it also has to do with the mindset going in because some folks tend to think building strength, they, sh- they can do it, let's say, in two months and you know they get buff and then we could just chill out after that. It's really just a... Exactly. It's, it's, it's about building that over a long period of time and actually yeah. building upon those muscles, right? Yeah, it's, it's really a lifestyle thing. I mean, a lot of people look like I've had clients who, let's say, when, they, when they're ready to play, I mean, it's Trinidad. So when they're ready to play mass, they yeah. step up their training, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had this one client. She was, she's been frontline band leader for years in, in one of the bands. And people will come to me in November and be like, I want to look like her by carnival. And these people train maybe once, like or, once or twice a week. A little bit, yeah. So like two months for the foreigners, two months sometimes before carnival, right. you want six-pack abs. And you can't. <laughs> this, and then I, so I had to break it down. Um, I broke it down for one lady once. I said, you're looking at her in the build-up to carnival, she gets a little bit more into the training. Mm-hmm. All year long, she's training with me four days a week. From November, she's training with me five days a week, and then she's doing spin and Zumba as well. Right. So you need the baseline to be able to then step it up in the last couple of months and really tune yourself in. Right. You can't start training for carnival 
during Christmas. That's the worst time to start training anyway because you're going to be eating and drinking. It's trying that. You're going to be eating and drinking every week. And, that's, and then you go into New Year's and then you're like, oh crap, there's a month for carnival. What do I do? And then you're eating and drinking during that carnival season. During the carnival build-up, yeah. It is the sense. worst time. <laughs> Chinese put so much pressure on themselves to look the best at the absolute worst time of year. Now that yeah. I'm thinking of it, yeah. yeah. But no, people do want this, this short-term turnover they think it they think it's easy mm-hmm. i mean it's and some people do make it look easy i get accused of that all the time like you make it look so easy why is it so hard it's like well you know it is hard and people it's a body commitment it's a lifestyle thing so strength is not only about that physical strength right you talked about you doing your certificates in cognitive behavioral therapy and yeah. things like that Tell us a little bit more about those aspects of building that mental strength as opposed to physical physique. Um, well, there is definitely, or there are definitely mental barriers people have to break to achieve some of their strength. Because a lot of people, they just don't think they can do it. Um, one of the things I wanted to, I was going to approach in the Mythbusters misunderstanding segment is I'm too old for this, first of all. But other people, they, they look at people on, like I said, I've been doing this for 25 years. So somebody who wants to start training, and I might be my age, and sees me in the shape that I'm in, they will look at that and say, well, I'll never get there. And so why bother to start? It's like, well, you're looking at me after 25 years of on and off training too. I mean, you know, I stopped for years. I've had injuries. And they think, well, I'll never get there, so why bother to start? And no start so first thing is getting them past that hurdle um and then people did some of them tend to lack some self-belief in well i can't do that weight so one of the tricks that i use i mean it's not really a a cbt trick i've been using it for years um i convince them that i'm not going to give them anything i don't think they can do and once i convince them of that by doing it repeatedly then they trust me and also, I have to know, uh, it takes a little while, but I have to know the client to know when they are giving me their all. Um, so I've been able to tell when a client went out for a drink the night before, based on how they're performing in the gym. And I can put a little buff on them, you went out lineman last night, or how you know that? It's like, because you can do this, and you're not. So I need to push them. As trainers, we always need to push people past their, um, the, these mental blocks that they have. And with... The CBT has sort of come in more with the lifestyle outside of the gym when I'm not there. So I get to, I plant little seeds in their heads and change their perspectives on things a little bit as to how to live their life outside of the gym based on their goals. Because if you're training three times a week, that's three hours out of your week. I'm not that good at maths. I don't know how many hours that leaves in your week, but it's a lot. And you have to be in charge of that. So I kind of impress upon them that part of it. But in the gym, to push people is pretty easy. You just, you know, you don't let up. And cognitive behavioral therapy is something that's used in almost every aspect of healthcare. They use it in mental health. They mm-hmm. use it in sleep, for sleep aids, things like that. So yeah. this is really cool that you're getting to integrate that into fitness and wellness. I think that's pretty innovative. Yeah, I, um, I didn't even do it with an eye to include it and to incorporate it into the training. I did it um, on the recommendation of a friend of mine because I, I was feeling to learn something new. Mm-hmm. And she said she'd been doing a course, she'd been doing some reading about it. And it sounded like the way I think anyway. 
So I tried it and I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I've been able to work it into everyday life parenting as well as, you know, training clients. So it's been, it's been really cool. Well, that wraps up our interview segment. We're going to segue into the Mythbuster segment. This is my favorite because I think it's hilarious. Some of the myths that we have, especially in the Caribbean. So I have a few that I wanted to address, but let's start with you. What are some of the biggest myths and misconceptions that you know about building strength and fitness? Hmm. Where to begin? Um, well, in, I mean, in the Caribbean, a lot of our, a lot of everything we know is informed by the rest of the Western world. So there's these, these ideas that, you know, women shouldn't be lifting weights because they'll get manly. And that is. And that's actually one of mine. So. <laughs> yeah. So you see? Yeah. It's, it's one of the standard ones. Um, and I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, it's, yeah, you can if you, depending on how you train, but I don't look like a bodybuilder. I've been training for 25 years. So, you know, and that's, and that's what they think women are going to look like if they start to lift weights. They look like a bodybuilder. A lot of people couldn't look like bodybuilders if they tried, much less if they don't want to. So there's, there's a lovely quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Somebody told him, I would never want to look like you. And he said, don't worry, you never will. And that's if you want to look like them. People can't. I try to look like a bodybuilder in my youth. I never managed. And so it depends on how you train. It depends on how you eat. And it depends on your end goal. If you don't want to look like that, then don't train to look like that. You can look athletic and lean and not manly, which is another phrase I take issue with. But that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things with strength training for women is that we need to actually start doing it as we age because it helps with issues like osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is the bone's propensity to become brittle or fragile. And it usually occurs as a result of hormonal changes and sometimes deficiencies in like vitamin D, um, calcium and things of that nature. So a lot of women as they age, they tend to think, well, maybe I can increase my calcium and vitamin D intake, but there really is so much of vitamin D and calcium that you can absorb. So adding strength training or resistance training to those added supplements are going to really benefit in the long run in terms of bone health and prevention of fractures, especially hip fractures. Those become really an issue for the elderly population. Huge misconception. Women shouldn't body, um, shouldn't lift weights. Definitely not. We should probably be Absolutely. doing more of it. And to build on the, on the point about aging, I had a 78 year old female client for a few months mm-hmm. And she used to do deeper squats than anybody else I've ever trained. Um, she hated cardio because she was thin as a whip. And she, so she hated cardio. I don't need to do cardio. I'm already skinny. It's like, no, well, for your heart and your, your lung health as well. I used to have to practically chain her to a treadmill. Um, but she, she'd been now, to be fair to her, she'd been training since before she had kids and her kids are all grown. So she'd been training for 50 years. But she is very, well, she's over 80 now. She's very sprightly. She's real good for herself. And like I say, she does deeper squats than most of my clients now. Wow. So it is absolutely crucial to weight train, resistance train, and do cardio well into your seniority to maintain good heart health, good dexterity, good mental acuity, 
you know, it's, it's, it's of paramount importance and people, you know, women in particular, you're right, don't think that they should and they absolutely should. Any other myths that you wanted to address? Myths. Um, one of the misunderstandings that drives me up a wall is this idea that carbs does not include fruit and vegetables. People don't understand what a carbohydrate is. So, yes. So I'm fed up of people saying, I'm on a no-carb diet. And when I ask them, well, what do you eat? They're like, well, vegetables and, and meat. It's like, you know, vegetables are carbs. No, they're not. It's like, that's like bread and rice. It's like, no, those are also carbs. Mm-hmm. Fruits, vegetables, provision, those are all carbs. Some are starches, some are legumes, but they're all carbs. So I, and, and to build on that, the idea that carbs are bad, carbs are your friend. Carbs are where energy comes from. There's no athlete on earth that does a low-carb or no-carb diet, except maybe bodybuilders, but that's coming down to a show when they, they manipulate their macro and micronutrients down to the minutest degree. And people don't see that. They just see them. They only ever see bodybuilders when they're prepping for a show and eating a handful of brown rice and some baked chicken, and they think that's how you have to eat. Yeah. That's not how these guys look like this. These guys and gals and athletes on a whole eat carbs. They need carbs. Otherwise, you can't perform. So that's the other myth is that one, carbs are bad, and two, carbs are only bread and rice. Everything, almost everything that isn't meat is a carb. So, yeah, people don't understand that. Nutrition in particular, more so than weight training, is a source of much confusion for a lot of people. Yeah. Especially, you know, I wouldn't say especially in the Caribbean, but... We're not immune from it either. It's, it's a, there's a lot of confusion within nutrition. So it's, it's important to educate people. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I hear all the time and it really kind of irks me is muscle weighs more than fat. And I'm just like, okay, a pound is a pound. So I don't understand how you could possibly tell me that it weighs more. It's just that the surface area may be smaller for muscle, but it, yeah. I think that's what people mean when they say that, but they don't think about the way they say it. Uh, years ago, my, uh, my father asked me a trick question to get me to think critically. I'm talking like when I was a kid, which is heavier, a pound of iron or a pound of feathers? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, obviously the iron is like, no, it's a pound is a pound. And I was eight and I'd never forgotten that lesson. But yeah, when I think what people mean when they say muscle weighs more than fat is a pound of muscle is smaller than a pound of fat. Exactly. So you can look, and I mean, there's another myth or misconception thing, this idea of, of the scale, and you have to weigh a certain amount. Mm-hmm. To go back to women, because frankly, unless you're a bodybuilder, more women are obsessive about the scale than men are. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can, you don't have to weigh a certain amount unless you're weighing in for a competition, right? I've seen women who look heavier at 125, than at 140 just because of their body composition because they're leaner at 140 than they are at 125 but they're lighter but they look heavier because again the the size disparity of of muscle and fat so the other misconception would be that the scale is everything scale is an indication of your health and your worth almost as some people you know it's, it's it's frightening how much weight 
no pun intended, people put on the scale. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, any other misconceptions? Um, the yeah, a couple more. Um, <laughs> I don't know that it's, it's not generally spoken, but it's something that I noticed recently. Not recently, but I only really took note of it. Um, for some reason, men don't do glute exercises. They they think they seem to think it's only a, only a woman must have a nice backside, and there's something unmanly about doing like hip bridges and right. that kind of thing. And I don't understand it because the the posterior chain, so your lower back, includes your hamstrings. Men love to boast about you know how much they can deadlift, which is a completely posterior chain exercise, and they're not working the strongest link in the posterior chain, which is your glutes. So I don't. It's it's something I've only really noticed recently. Men don't do isolational glute exercises, and it seems to be because people think it's just a woman thing to do. They will isolate everything else. They'll isolate their quads and their hamstrings, their lower back, their calves, but not the glutes. And I think that needs to change. You know, make make hip thrusts manly. You know, we need we need to start doing that. And the other one that I touched on earlier is I'm too old for this. Yeah. You know, especially so it, I was I was kicking the bag in between sets the other day, and a guy came up to me. So we started talking Taekwondo, and he asked me how long I've been training. And it's not long. I only started Taekwondo about five years ago. I'm nearly forty. So it's pretty late to get into martial arts on average. And I said, you know, tell him how much I enjoy it and where I train. And he said, kind of dismissively as he was walking off, you know, yeah, well, I feel like too old for that. And I got so irritated. And I don't know how old he thinks I am. I mean, I was clean shaven totally at the time. And I, I don't look my age. But he doesn't look much older than I am. And he's in pretty decent shape. Physically, it looks like you're not too old. I talked about my 78-year-old client. Yeah. You know, I got into Taekwondo in my mid-30s. You're never too old to start weight training, to start any kind of sport you want to do, martial arts, swimming, whatever it is. You're not too old. I hate that saying, yeah. and uh, we need to we need to stop it. You may never be like I may never get to you know ninth degree because there's also a certain number of years in between each belt. But that doesn't mean I can't train. You know, I can't do the best and be the best that I can be. So people tend to, what's the, what's the line? Make perfect the enemy of good. And they, stop it. Get, if you want to do it, do it. Get into it. Get over, get out of your own way, kind of thing. You're not, you're not too old, trust me. Um, friends, I want to thank you so much for uh, just agreeing to have us here at Cyborg no, no, this, this was fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you and, you know, chatting with us a little bit about strength and building strength and all the other segues that we got to <laughs> yeah, yeah. in this conversation. And we can get to, depending on how much time you have. I know. And <laughs> we would definitely have to do another episode with you because there's so oh, much love that, that you've yeah. done. And I think it will, it will work wonders for, you know, our audience as, as we build an audience. So. As we get ready for Christmas in the Caribbean... And for those of our listeners in Trinidad and Tobago, the carnival season coming very soon after that, a lot of focus is being placed on weight. So today's Clinical Pills segment focuses on weight management.
The Pan American Health Organization reports that while hunger and malnutrition have fallen in the Caribbean, being overweight and obesity have greatly increased, and especially among women and children. The most recent study found that among Caribbean countries, the highest rate of obesity occurs in Barbados at around 36%, and then Trinidad and Tobago, Antigua, and Barbuda all around 31%. When a person is being classified as being overweight or obese, it's usually based on a measurement called BMI or body mass index. This is a measurement of a person's weight with respect to their height. To be underweight, a patient may have a BMI of less than or equal to 18.9 kilograms per meter squared. Overweight is ranged between 25 and 29.9 kilograms per meter squared, and obese is a BMI greater than or equal to 30 kilograms per meter squared. This leaves a normal BMI at a range of 20 to 24.9 kilograms per meter squared. A very narrow range. So while it is commonly used as an indication of health, studies have found that BMI is less than a perfect test because of its lack of consideration for muscle mass. In addition, BMI is not beneficial in measuring a physiological state like high blood pressure or high blood glucose. It is a measurement of only size. Now, quite frankly, there are a lot of cases where a person may have an elevated BMI and are considered to be overweight or obese, but are in good health. And alternatively, there may be cases where people are of a normal BMI and have a lot of health issues. So to echo what Franz discussed in this episode, let's put less emphasis on actual weight and the scale and focus on adopting healthier habits. Some of these may include a 30-minute brisk walk into your work week or daily routine, maybe reducing the number of sugary drinks you consume a day. How about paying attention to the calories that you intake and some of the foods we consume daily? All of these can help us adapt healthier habits so that we do not have to be so concerned about the weight or the scale on a day-to-day basis. Some medications may also have an effect on weight gain. These may include diabetes medications, such as insulin, glybenclamide or glenclamide, or even glycoside or diamicron. Mental health medications can also cause weight gain, such as olanzapine, cutiapine, which is also Seroquel, risperidone, risperlox, and some antidepressants such as paroxetine, duloxetine, cymbalta, and fluoxetine. Medications such as steroids are known to cause weight gain, particularly when given at high doses and over prolonged periods of time. Some of these medications include dexamethasone, prednisolone, and immunosuppressants such as cyclosporin, promune, or sandimune. Also, anti-seizure medications are known to cause weight gain as well. Some medical conditions may also have an impact on weight. Hypothyroidism, which is the low production of thyroid hormone, can cause weight gain in many individuals. Alternatively, hyperthyroidism, which is overproduction of thyroid hormone, can cause patients to lose a lot of weight. Other medical conditions that may cause weight loss include GI disorders such as Crohn's disease, irritable bowel syndrome, celiac disease, 
or ulcerative colitis. Stimulant medications used in the treatment of ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder are quite often known to cause weight loss. These may include methylphenidate or Concerta or Ritalin. When trying to lose weight, especially for the carnival season, people tend to gravitate towards some weight loss supplements that are seen on TV or heard over the radio. It is very important for us to know what are the contents of these supplements because they may cause serious side effects in individuals who may have heart problems or other chronic disease states. One component quite commonly found in weight loss supplements is caffeine. Caffeine is known to cause a jittery feeling, increase the heart rate, uh, cause acid reflux or heartburn, as well as causing difficulty sleeping. It's also very important to take note of the amount of caffeine found in these supplements because there is a daily recommended dosage of 400 milligrams of caffeine per day. Now, keep in mind that often we do consume other forms of caffeine, such as coffee, some energy drinks, and sweet drinks. So it is important to combine all of our caffeine-containing substances in order for us to ensure that we do not exceed that 400 milligrams per day. Other weight loss supplements may contain green tea. Green tea has some similar side effects to caffeine in that it may cause some elevated heart rate and acid reflux. Another weight loss supplement that is quite popular recently is called Garcinia Cambogia. Now this product's claim to fame is that it's a natural herb found in India. And a lot of folks think that because it's natural, there are some benefits associated with using it. Now, while it has shown some evidence of benefit in weight loss, this supplement also showed isolated incidences of liver failure in some patients. In essence, weight loss or weight gain can be very challenging. Talk to your healthcare, wellness, or fitness professionals about lifestyle changes you can make to help you achieve your weight management goals. That's it for this episode. Please check us out at our website, rxrounds.com, for more information on today's guest, Franz Jellizo. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to our channel. See you next rounds.